for just about everything for the outdoors, go to MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. All right, we are back for another coffee call. I believe it is episode number 36, and I'm excited about this topic. Like every week, I'm excited about it, but this one, it, it kind of sticks out a little bit because it's a question that I feel like comes up in a lot of conversations, no matter where you're at talking about hunting, and that is about pressure on your farm. So I'm really excited to dive into this one. What do you think, man? Yeah, this is a really good one because it, it applies to anybody, uh, you know, property, big or small, public or private, um, you know, leased, or maybe it's just your neighbors, you know, giving you access. But this is probably one of the most influential factors, like, in my opinion, that that you need to take into consideration, you know, when it comes to maximizing your opportunity as a deer hunter. I agree. And this question, when it was submitted to us, you know, it was kind of a vague question. It was just like, I want to hear more about pressure on your farm. So I thought that we could just start by first, let's define what pressure is for people out there that, you know, could be new to this or, you know, hunters in general that, you know, just might not think of pressure that much and they just go out and hunt. So let's break down what pressure is. My definition of pressure is basically any time that you go on your farm doing anything, whether it's going to your stand, whether it's going to check a camera or, you know, whatever it is, going to scout or anything, that is pressure on your farm. That is something that's manipulating deer movement and disturbing them in their natural habitat. So yeah. that's kind of that's kind of my take on pressure yeah that's a good way to put it i mean i would call it like a 
you know, the, the effects you have on your property based on your activity, um, you know, in regards to deer movement and, you know, the deer's perception of your presence. Like you said, whether it's going to your tree stand, putting in a food plot, shed hunting, like all that stuff, anything really, any, any type of intrusion, no matter if you're hunting or not, is going to affect the way deer perceive that, that pressure. Like that, I don't know what else to call it. Like, yeah, it's, it's a good topic. And like you said, it's something that is brought up a lot and it's brought up in every, every aspect of deer hunting, no matter where you live in the country. Like, so it's, it's a, it's a great topic to dive into. I think it affects everybody. It does. It really does. I mean, every hunter out there deals with some sort of pressure. If you sit there and say, well, I don't have a lot of pressure on my farm. Well, I get that, but you're still, there is a little bit of pressure with you going on there, no matter what, what time or when you do it, that still equals its pressure at the capacity, you know, or the amount of pressure that might vary from your farm to my farm, but there still is a little bit of pressure. So I've got a couple different scenarios that I want to break down, and I'm going to start with it here in Michigan. So I've got the one-acre farm, which is, you know, 120 acres, but only four acres of it is timber. And then I've got my family farm that's 15 minutes away that's 215 acres, and it's all timber. So on the one acre, I treat it the same as I do my family farm, but I'm a little more disciplined and a little more calculated on what I do. So on the one acre, it's all ag around me, all farm fields and ag. So there's a lot of tractors, a lot of, you know, trucks and people around a lot. So these deer kind of are used to it. So when I go in and hang my stands, it does not matter when I do it. If I could go hang a stand tomorrow in January, what I do is I take the ranger in. Every time I go on the farm, I'll take the ranger in. I will leave the ranger running while I hang a stand. And that's just what I do. Because I've always witnessed, once you drive up somewhere and you turn that ranger off and a human gets out, or if it's a tractor or a truck and you get out, or even if you just stop, if you see a deer bedded and you stop, a lot of times that deer will like get up and and freak out and leave. You know, a lot of times. Sometimes they'll sit there, but a lot of times in my scenario, they will stand up and they'll just freak out and get out of there. So I like to keep it running and do all my stuff. I mean, it could be running for an hour or two hours. I, I, I don't care. That's the risk that I take. And yeah. just that noise, it kind of, I think it keeps the deer at ease that might be, you know, a little distance away but could still see me possibly. Or they might just think, you know, that there's a farmer in the field just doing his thing. And they don't look at that as danger. So that's one thing I like to do, but on the um on my family farm, I still do the same thing, but I still do like if I take my pickup in or something, a lot of tree stands I can get my pickup pretty close or a four wheeler. I'll still do the same thing. I'll let it run, but also I all my stands are hung by you know July fourth. That's what I like to get them all hung by and get everything done, and then I'm out of the woods at the latest August first, and I'm done. So that's kind of where it starts for me uh where where does it really start for you at man i don't know i've I've never really had the luxury of of having private property to hunt like even growing up in new york um i mean i I did hunt private property but i mean i was like i said before we we couldn't hunt deer till we're 16 in new york so 
you know, I couldn't even start to learn how to deer hunt until I was 16. You know, short of watching videos or reading a book or an article or something, I never really had any hands-on experience. So factor in the, the time frame of being 16, getting out of high school, going to college, and then I left college and went straight to Texas for five years. So it's like my my experience has been still in, in hunting and whitetails, but until this year, like moving to Iowa, I never really had a place of my own to focus stuff on, you know, when it comes to this kind of a thing. But, uh, you know, I will say there are certain elements that, that make sense to me that, you know, certain things you can do to decrease the pressure on, on a piece of property, you know, in regards to like checking cameras or hanging stands and all that. But, and based on that experience, I would answer your question by saying, you know, and this is a, this is total opposite of you. And I'm not saying this for the sake of argument, but I'm not sure I would want to hang permanent stands. I'd want to, I'd want to leave all that stuff completely out of the equation and then just pack in a stand and do a hanging hunt every time I go. Yeah. And I, I can definitely see how that would be an effective tactic too. Cause I've really thought about that, you know, on my farm and the reason why I'm, I'm pretty anal about, about certain things. What I mean by that is I go down to the, the minute details, like, of deer seeing my ladder sticks. So when I go up and hang a stand, you know, I make sure, you know, I have a pretty good idea where a majority of the deer movement's going to be on what side of the tree. So I situate my ladder sticks a certain way on the tree. Yeah. You know, I'm just anal about that, I guess. And I like to get my ladder sticks out there early. Like, I'll go, if, if I if I have an idea, let's say like right now, I've got an idea on a couple of trees that I want for next year that I'm going to put pre-hung stands in. I will go put those ladder sticks out there in January because then the deer will have, you know, a, basically nine, ten months to look at those and just be like, oh, that's just an extension of that tree or that's yeah. just nothing different, you know. So those ladder sticks also, them being out there, even with trail camps, that's pressure in a way to me, you know, until they get used to that. And there's ways to, to hang tree or hang trail cams to, to make them not as visible. And, you know, I know guys that actually will go as far as like zip tying limbs around their trail cam. So it kind of breaks it up a little bit. I don't go that far, but I get my cameras out there earlier enough that, you know, I haven't really had a lot of deer, you know, freak out about them. I do have a trail cam on the one acre that it's in an area, it's in an area that I could go check it every day and I would not do anything, any harm to the farm. And that camera is strictly for inventory. You know, it's in a spot where I can get to it quick, quiet, and nothing will see me or hear me. Yep. But all the other cameras, you know, I use my cameras for inventory, inventory, but also like to see how deer are moving for the next year, you know. So this year I had that camera in the one acre. I wanted to see how all the deer are moving for next year. And what I've, t- you know, taken from it this year is a lot of bucks are bedding in there and a lot of bucks are up on their feet in midday in there in the rut. So that tells me I need to get in there in the rut on the right conditions and, you know, hunt them midday. I know it's kind of yeah. off, ta- off off topic a little bit, but it kind of all comes together and is in the, kind of the same group, I guess you could say, of the pressure. Yeah, it all it, they're all contributing factors for sure. I mean, 
you know, you're talking about people you know that zip tie brush or tree limbs around their cameras. I can remember, you know, watching some of the old Drury videos and, you know, they would actually cut silhouettes out of plywood of a human outline to put in their box blinds, you know, like, or in a ground blind or, you know, they'd screw it up to a tree in their tree stand just so the deer associated that, that form, you know, to something that's there constantly over time. So, you know, when the day comes for you to go hunt that spot, you pull the silhouette out and you sit up there and the deer, it sounds kind of, you know, obsessive and a little crazy now, but I mean, 10, 15 years ago before you had all this blacked out windows on your blinds. I mean, it's, it all seems common sense at this point, but right. I mean, I remember seeing that stuff on their old VHS tapes and it's like, man, that's cool. Like that makes a lot of sense, you know, like make the deer think you're there the whole time. So then when you do go in, they're not going to think twice about it. You know, they're not going to know the difference. But yep, you know, as, exactly. as far as as far as cameras go, like like you're saying, like you know, you you put the ones in the you put certain cameras in strategic places that are easy to get to, so you you don't have that intrusion factor that still gets you the the information you're looking for. As far as you know, inventory or travel route or bedding area or whatever the case may be. But with the advancements in cameras now, like cell cameras or uh, the Cuddy Link system that Cuddy Back came out with last year, or in 2018, yep. I should say. If you want to spend enough money, there's no, you don't have to go in and check your cameras at all. Put them on a six volt battery with a solar charger, and put them on a cell phone network, and you never have to go in there. Or right. those Cuddy, those Cuddy Link cameras, you can link, I think, like up to nine cameras. You set one home camera, and then just daisy chain the rest. You know, out after that, beyond that, based on signal strength and all you got to do is go to the first one and check it, and you've got all the images from the other eight that are out there. Yep. We use the Cuddy Link system on my family farm here, and it's awesome. Yeah. We put the base camera or the home camera at the at deer camp, and yep. anybody who wants to check the whole farm can go up there and pull that card, put it in the computer, and they'll fold it out. It, it is nice, but it, it, it is pricey, too. Yeah, it, you it know. sure is. I mean, that's like anything else, you know, convenience costs... That's all there is to it, and it's mm-hmm. it's not just the hunting industry, but, I mean, it's just one of the things we have now that is changing the game. But, I mean, if you want to talk about pressure and how to keep it off your farm and out of your property, then if that's something you value, then you're going to pay for it. I mean, right? it's easy to justify products like that when it affects you in a positive way. Exactly. You know, and a big thing that I learned this year and a step that I took farther as a hunter was my discipline. And yeah. not going on the farm, you know, and it, and it paid off big time this year on the one acre. I mean, I had four bucks that were three and a half, you know, years old and older that were showing themselves in the daylight religiously. I had like five sits in a row that I was seeing a shooter buck, you know, three and a half or older in the daylight, you know, yeah. so it was just a matter of time. And the biggest thing that I changed this year is I just didn't go on the damn farm. You know, I let my cameras do what they're supposed to do, and it was tough. Don't get me wrong, because I was the guy that needed to go in there and check those cameras all the time. It paid off this year, and it was like a light bulb moment. Like, dude, stay your ass off there, and things will happen. Going in there in the right time. And it went as far as, so, you know, a lot of my close friends and everybody that knows me that, you know, close hunting buddies, 
I'm obsessive over the puff bottles and you know a lot of people use the milkweed well I use um I can't remember what it's called it's like a little green plastic tube and it's got like almost like cotton in it I don't know what it really is but it's like milkweed basically I have a puff bottle in that cotton thing with me all the time it doesn't matter if it's summer and I'm going to check cameras in like a bedding area or something or on the edge you know something where I'm like pushing the fact uh, I'm constantly walking in. If I could get halfway in it and I puff or or throw some, I'll just call it milkweed, throw some milkweed out there and the wind switches and goes in where I'm going, I will not go in there. And it happened to me this year. Um, it was the youth hunt and it was mid-September, or not mid-September, it was early September. So the youth hunt was coming up, I think. Or maybe it was last year. Anyway, the youth hunt was going on and there was youth hunters all around my farm. I knew they were hunting. Well, I wanted to go check my cameras. And I literally got out of the truck, you know, you know, got scent free and everything, my boots and all my clothes and everything. I started walking and I checked the wind and it switched on me, it went right into where I was going. And I said, nope. And I backed out and I did not go in. That is another thing to look at when you're going in to check a camera or even put a stand up. You know, I'm not talking like, Heart of the summer, but like when you get close to season, or even if you do it in season, make sure you know where that wind's at. Play that wind when you're going in there to do that stuff because you could be a couple hundred yards away from the timber or where you want to get, and that wind could be blowing right down where you want to go, and there could be deer in there, and you just don't even know. And you wouldn't even know if you blow them out of there. And you know, a mature buck, or you know, any buck for that matter, but a mature buck, especially. He, you know, his tolerance might be one time. Once you blow him, you'll never see him again. He might be three counties away, and you just screwed yourself, and you didn't even know it. Now you're hunting a ghost yeah. that's not even there. Yeah, it's, I mean, it, it happens more often than people think. And, I mean, unfortunately, it happens sometimes when they don't even know the deer's there in the first place. I mean, right? you know, your neighbor might hear about some giant, you know, like 180 or something, and you're like, man, why am I not seeing him? Well, it's... What are you doing? Like, look at the bigger picture. And you could have blown him out of there before you ever, ever even had a photo or ever had an encounter with him. Yep. Man, I've blown so many deer out of an area and, you know, you not even know it. And then someone, sometimes you do know it. You know, when I, when I was back in my younger time, when I was probably 15, 16 years old and just dumb to the fact, you know, I would go out and sit in my rifle blind and watch deer in September and want to see bucks. And I remember going in one day, one night I went in and I kicked up a big buck, big buck right by my blind. And it's like September. I'm in shorts, you know, in a t-shirt. And I just wanted to go see deer, look at deer. And I, I remember he had double split brow tines and I kicked him up. Nobody ever saw him again until my uncle he showed back up on the farm. My uncle shot him in rifle season. He was a double split brow 10, ended up scoring right around the 130s right there. And yep. I'm like, that was like a light bulb moment. And I'm like, I never, ever, one one time after that, I'm like, I screwed that whole deal up right there. You know, and it and it goes in progression. And you know, my, my the best way I learn is to, to screw up bad, you know, and, yeah. and it tells you, you know, you'll never do that again. Yeah, that's, that's 
that could not be more true. And I don't remember what episode I said it on. It, it was with Chuck there in uh, whatever number episode. But, you know, it's, I said, if you did everything right the first time, you know, in all aspects of your life, like, what would you really be learning? Like, you, you literally already know everything. Like, I don't care who you are, or what, you know, what your world is. Like, the only way you learn is by doing something wrong and making an adjustment. Like, that's all there is to it. It's, and that's exactly, that could not be more true in anything more than it is in deer hunting, I think, or hunting in general. Like, you don't, you're not born with the knowledge of, of how to kill a mature whitetail or how to, how to kill a mature moose or an elk or, I mean, down to a cottontail rabbit or a pheasant. You have to go out there and figure it out. Like, you're, you're going to do it wrong nine times before you get it right that one time. Yep. You know, and it's that, it's that culmination of experience that allows you to hone in on what to do right the next time without having to go through all that. And every animal is different, so you're still going to have those things that change. You know, your conditions are going to be different. It's a different property. You know, the animal may be more, you know, educated on pressure or the experiences it has had in avoiding hunters. Like, you never know what you're dealing with. And if you didn't screw up more often than you've succeeded, then I don't think it would be as fun as it is for anybody. I agree, man. I agree 100%. I, I, when we got this question, I started to think, you know, think about the deer – the the bigger deer that I've killed, the more, I don't want it to be a size thing, but, you know, when you grow up and you're, you you go through the stages of probably killing those smaller bucks and then you work your way up a lot of times, you know. So I've had, I've been fortunate enough to, to put some pretty good bucks on the wall over the last couple of years. And I really went back and, and thought about it. Every deer. So I've killed three of them in Michigan that were pretty good deer. And all of them were the first time in to that set. First time ever sitting in that stand. Not surprising. And I killed two in Missouri. And both of those, one was a hang and bang. First time in, never been in the area. The other one was a set stand that was on the edge of bedding. It was my first time in ever yeah, to set that stand. That says... That says all you need to know right there. I mean, that's yep. you're going in on the least amount of pressure where the deer have never encountered danger before. And, yep. you know, this is a little off topic, but it reminds me, I talked to Jared Mills yesterday and he, in my opinion, you know, he's somebody I followed before I worked for Midwest Whitetail, but I mean, he is like the king of the hang and bang. Like that guy seldom 99.9% of the time is carrying sticks and stands in no matter where he's going to hunt, even on his own private property. And, you know, with that being said, he's going to come on the fall podcast with us here in the very near future and, and talk about exactly that. Yeah. That's something I want to get more into doing. And I'm, I'm glad he's coming on. And, you know, we're going to have Greg Godfrey from, from Tethered come on here too soon to talk more about saddle hunting because I really want to get back into the saddle hunting. Because if I can go okay. in with a saddle on, you know, a saddle – and I don't have to go in and necessarily prep trees in the summer if I don't have to go hang stands. That's n that's no pressure on my farm. Yeah. You know, I'm just trying to eliminate more pressure. Yeah, and it's a good lightweight option. I mean, even if you're not hunting private property, the weight of that saddle versus the weight of 
I mean, I don't care what stand you want to talk about. It's going to be significantly less. Yeah, and I, I, I guess I don't want to get too far and say, you know, I'll never not, you know, do another pre-hung stand or I won't go in and do a hang and bang. But, you know, it is something that I've been tr- wanting to work towards and really fine-tune it and see how well it works for me. And that's yeah. why I want to pick these guys' brains, such as Jared and Greg, and and really dive deep far deeper into it and and really be more disciplined and kind of take my you know take my skill set hopefully to another level yeah for sure and it's just it's just one of those things where it's like you look at the bigger picture and you say okay i'm i'm not pressuring my property i'm not going to continue to put the same scent into the same stand every time i hunt because most of the time you're going to access that stand from the same location on the same path every time you go. And I mean, if you pay attention to the wind and all that, you know, that's, that's great. You should be. But the fact remains every deer you encounter from that stand, if you don't kill it, you know, like if it blows you out of there, whether it's a doe or a fawn or a young buck, mature buck, they're going to know that something happened there. Like they're going to remember this is where the, I got scared that one time, you know, and they're going to, they're going to change their ways. So, I mean, you know, and that brings up another point is, is access. You know, there's, there's so many things you can do to, to access a stand location. Even if you are, you know, hunting a permanent stand location, you know, and I think when you go in to hang those stands, you can't just put it where the deer are going to be. You need to look at the terrain and figure out how you can get, to where they're going, like either, you know, the travel route to the destination or the travel route, you know, back to bedding or whatever it is, like after the destination and, you know, creeks, ditches, uh, ridges, you know, water, I mean, anything that just takes you off the radar and like just leaves us as small a footprint as possible. You know, if, if I did have, if I was to hang permanent stands, that would be, first and foremost on my list, you know, it kind of goes back to the beginning of this episode where you asked me where I would start. I think in hindsight now at the end of the conversation, that, that would be my answer. I would find a way, I would find the, the least impactful way to access that property and figure out where those access points can put me and then find a way to hunt deer along those access routes. Don't look so much for the deer trails, the sheds, the food source, look at a way to use the landscape to put you between the food source and the deer. Yeah, that's a great answer. I mean, that's a great tag to go, to go off of too because a lot of people, they'll look for that perfect tree and then they'll try to find access to get in there and then they're like, oh, I need to be in this tree. You know, I'll just have to make this access work and you might you might be blowing deer and you, and you might not, you know, to getting in there. But yeah. It's hard to say. It's, it's a risk versus reward thing. And the hard part about hunting whitetails is when you play it safe, you don't really know what the reward is going to be until it presents itself. Like you know that you shouldn't just go blazing through a cornfield or a bean field, you know, to get to your favorite stand on the edge of this, of this egg. But, you know, you're like, oh, I'm just going to get in there quick and I'll be up. 30 feet, I'll be out of the wind, I'll be fine. Well, you're not. You're just, you just cut 
you just took the straightest line, you know, to your stand. And that's, there's, there's too many animals that expect that because I, I really believe that deer know how lazy a human can be. They rely on the fact that they're going to take the easiest way in and out, you know, and you look at the guys that are the most successful and shooting the most mature deer, you know, they're going against the grain. They're, it's not even against the grain. That's a bad way to put it. They're doing the things that everybody else is not thinking about doing. You know, they're looking at the property. They're hunting the landscape. They're, you know, they're staying out of there. They're just that intrusion is very minimal. It's like once you learn the results you can have by doing that, like you, you start to like, you know, you put your thought process ahead of the deers and then you start realizing, man, I'm seeing more mature bucks. I'm having better encounters. Like you may not be seeing as many deer, but the ones you're seeing are the ones you're targeting. So, I mean, in my opinion, that's as successful as you could probably ask to be, you know, if you're right, if you're not seeing the deer that you're targeting, I mean, are you really justifying all that effort? I mean, exactly. Maybe you are. I mean, maybe you're going to settle for saying, man, I had a great set. I saw, I saw 14 bucks tonight, but I didn't see the one that I'm after, but I keep getting him on this one camera. Okay. Well, why is he on that camera and not where these other 14 bucks are every night? Well, it's because he knows what you're doing and he knows how you're getting there. Yeah. And I ran into it down in Ohio and, you know, in muzzleloader season just a couple of weeks ago, I was seeing 30 deer a night, but I wasn't seeing the right deer. I had to sit yeah. back and ask myself, I'm not seeing the right deer. I'd rather see the right deer and only see one deer than see 30 deer and right. not see the deer. But yeah. a lot of people like to go out and see deer. You know, I do too. I love to just go out and watch wildlife and watch whitetails. But I'm out there for a certain deer. And whether that be age class or a deer that I'm targeting, it, or, you know, it doesn't matter. But I'm out there to see that deer and... So I really had to rethink my strategy for the last day that I was there, and I did move. You know, I was I told myself I was going to ride the hole, and I ended up moving, and I had some weather roll in, and it it you know it was like thirty mile gusters, and it just not a lot of deer were moving anyway. But yeah. you know that's just another one of those scenarios. You kind of gotta, you know, I I get like tunnel vision a lot when you're in hunt mode, and you know. It seems like the days when you're hunting every morning and every night, it seems like they go by so fast and you're so stressed and you're always rushed. You always feel rushed. And it's like yeah. you kind of got to take a step back step back every once in a while and just say, hey, you know, think about yeah. the situation and, and yeah, what you're trying to do. So It's so hard to, like, as a hunter to accept that. Like, the only choice you have is to trust the process. And if you just do what – is either easy to you or what everybody else does, you know, you feel like you're doing things right because, well, this is what everybody else is doing. And, you know, that's sometimes that can be good, but I think more often than not, it's probably bad because you're going to see those younger deer and those older deer, those mature bucks that you're actually looking for are going to be clear on the other side of the farm or else they're going to be slipping by you right onto your nose, you know, 40 yards away in the ditch that you should have came in on. And it's, yep. it's just, like I said, it's, you, you don't understand the reward until you take the risk and it's, you have to trust the process in knowing that you're doing something different than everybody else is doing or, you know, 
maybe what you've already been doing in the past, you know, you know, going to grandpa's favorite stand is all good and great, you know, from a nostalgic standpoint, but you know, did grandpa shoot consistently mature deer out of that stand or did he just like to go there? Cause you know, with a Northwest wind, he could smell what was for supper before the sun went down, you know, who knows? Right. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, it's, I don't know what else to say about it. You just have to do what's different and trust that you're doing the right thing. Yep. I guess my closing thoughts on this as we wrap it up here, just because we're right at time, my closing thoughts on it would be, and, and it was a really light bulb moment, like I said, for me this year on, on the on the one-acre farm. And I stayed the hell out of there. The, the two years before that that I hunted it, I didn't. I went in there, and I didn't see any shooters in two years. I really, on the hoof. You know, as deer season came along, I, I I pushed all the deer out of there. So this year I was like, I took a step back and I said, I need to do this. And I disciplined myself. And I saw multiple shooters in daylight, you know, and it worked. It's starting to work. And my closing thoughts on it, I guess, reiterating, is that be a little more disciplined with yourself. You yeah. know, it's, you know, look at your farm or the farms that you hunt. It could even be public land as well and might be a little trickier, but, you know, look at the farms that you hunt and maybe do something a little different. Maybe if if you're not seeing the bucks that you want to see, then take a step back and say, is it the pressure that I'm putting on the farm? How much am I putting on there? Am I checking my cameras all the time in the summer? Should I just let them marinate, sit back? Or am I going in there not even thinking about the wind when I'm going to hang stands or checking cameras? So... I would think of those small things, you know, the minute details. Start yep. start to get a little granular with your thoughts and your and your movements and really break down what you're doing with your farm and I guarantee you you will see results. You will see, you know, things will start turning around for you. I almost I do guarantee you it will happen. Yeah, I would agree with you 100%. Like you just said, you know, it could be on public land. It's going to be a little trickier. And, you know, that's been my experience this year, this season. But, I mean, do something that, I mean, if, even if you're not on public ground, if you're hunting your own private farm or you're hunting the family farm or, you know, maybe you get permission from a neighbor, like ask them what how they get to this field or, you know, think about the way you've always done things in the past. It's like, man, it's not working. Well, try doing something different for once, like, Go to your stand from a different direction, or maybe don't even go to that stand. Go someplace and hunt off the ground. Like, just totally throw a curveball into that mix and and see what happens. Like, just because that's the way you've been doing it, or that's the way someone told you to do it, doesn't mean it's necessarily right. And it just goes yep. back to like we we talked about. The only way to realize you're doing it wrong is to find a better way to do it. And once you find a better way to do it, you're going to say to yourself, "Man, why didn't I think of this sooner?" Yep. Or you get it wrong one time too. Yeah. And like, and from there you're, you're a better hunter from that point forward. So I don't know what else to say. Just, I agree. If it's not working, find another way to do it. I agree, man. Yeah. That's a good way to close her out. And everybody, thank you for, you know, I say it every week, but thank you for the support, for, you know, with, with the podcast and Justin and I and everything. Hopefully you guys are enjoying all this information, the coffee calls and the main show. Um, if you guys pl- could please go over to iTunes, if you guys listen to the podcast on iTunes, so all you got to do is go to where you download the podcast 
And if you scroll down, I think it is a little bit down there, it'll leave a comment section and you can leave a rating right there. It's like a star. You just click how many stars you want to leave. I'd really appreciate if you guys would go in there and leave a comment, whether it's bad, good, indifferent. I don't care. I want the support. We both want the support. I want the feedback. We both really want the feedback because that kind of, it tells us what we need to do differently or if we're doing everything that we should be doing. So we want to hear some more feedback. Yeah, and it just helps us go and helps the podcast grow and that's what we want to do with this. So if you guys could please do that, that would be helpful in a big way. So, I mean, that's all I got, man. Yeah, that's all I got. I mean, I'm looking forward to the next couple conversations we have uh, outside of the coffee call, like talking about the saddles and, and getting Jared in here and talking about hanging bangs. And it's just going to be, I don't know. I think it's a little more strategy, you know, in, in depth kind of yes. strategy stuff. And, uh, I think, I think it just kind of, it will help, you know, let this all sink in. Like if you can look back and remember what we talked about, but for sure, um, things are going to start clicking here more as we get into more of the strategy type of stuff. For sure, man. All right. Well, let's wrap this one up. Everybody, thank you for listening, and we will see you next week. Mm-hmm.